You're listening to Thinking Biblically. Hello again, everyone. This is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically. This is our seventh episode of our new format. I've been really, really excited and blessed uh, with the various conversations I've had over the past several weeks. I want to remind you that if you haven't seen last week's conversation with Rick Berg on death and dying, I really, I don't know how to market this kind of presentation, but it is a delightful conversation about life. And so I want to encourage you to check that out. In the description is the playlist to all the the past episodes. And so you'll want to check that out. And before we continue, I want to remind you, please remember to subscribe and click the notification bell. If you're you're listening to this on an audio podcast, there's some way to subscribe. that way too. So don't forget to do that. Um, and also, as you're as you're listening to my conversation today, uh, remember to comment or send questions. Be very happy to uh, engage with you on any concerns or or questions that you have on this or any other topic. And so today we're going to be talking about the relationship between thinking biblically and living biblically. Now, in my mind. And biblically, these two things go together, but it seems to me that that's not always the case. And to help us have this discussion today, I'm very happy to again have my son Daniel uh, with me. He was the uh, he was the host of my recent Old Testament course, 20 week long Old Testament course, and I'm going to put the the link to that in the description as well. You can check that out of open that up to the public and all the resources, supporting resources are available for that as well. So please check that out. So Daniel's back. He was with me in the first episode of, of this new format of Thinking Biblically, and hopefully uh, he'll be somewhat of a, a regular guest or host and however we're going to do it uh, in the in the weeks ahead. And so Daniel's the founder and director of the Center of Public Speaking. Of He's a victim's advocate with the Whitestone Clinic and a parliamentary assistant to Canadian Member of Parliament, Arnold Viersen. He's an ordained minister and is married to his best friend, Alexandra. Daniel, thanks for joining me again. Thanks for having me on your show, Dad. And so um, what I've asked Daniel to do is share a little bit of his own recent story that I think dramatically illustrates um, how we have an issue with this um, with living biblically, not exactly connecting with thinking biblically. Um, it might, if you don't know Daniel's story, this might sound a bit strange, and, but I'll just pass it over to Daniel right now. And he's going to take it from here uh, so that he can set up our discussion. Well, thanks, Dad. I, I doubt it's going to come through on the recording, but there's a magnificent thunderstorm right above us and all around us right now. So uh, here in Toronto. So if uh, anybody does hear some funny sounds or falls and the lights go out, be warned. I was born into my dad's family. He is literally my dad. And uh, I loved God from before I could possibly remember. And it, as far as I can tell, it was real. I was passionate about God. And yet when I got into about mid high school, I started struggling with a lot of intellectual doubts. I, I had so many questions. Maybe some of you, uh, many of you have had um, you know, in a world of 10,000 religions. How do we know if this is true? Uh, there's a lot of so-called sacred books. How come the Bible? Uh, do we actually have evidence that Jesus rose from the dead? I loved God so much, but I wondered, was he just uh, an imaginary friend? 
that was a creative outlet for me, uh, a comforting thought, but was he actually real? Uh, I went to my dad and this might be a topic for a whole other thing, um, but my dad handled it so well and encouraged me to lean into these questions, which is not what I want him to say. I want him to numb my doubts, but my dad really encouraged me to lean into them, cross-examine my faith. As I did, uh, a childhood voice, uh, my childhood, not his, a childhood voice uh, kind of re-emerged in my life, which was Ravi Zacharias. I loved hearing him on the radio growing up. Uh, and I got some of his books. I found his stuff online. Uh, I just, he was, he, Josh McDowell, his great, uh, Josh McDowell, Systematic Theology, um, Evidence of the Man's Verdict, rather. And there's so many um, excellent resources out there. Ravi being probably the biggest voice in terms of helping me find uh, an intellectual undergirding for my faith, a reason for the hope that I have in Jesus. And I, I was studying history and philosophy in university by this point. And at some point, about midway through university, I found so many of my doubts, my questions resolved. And I was just, yeah, so grateful to Ravi, Josh McDowell, and the others. Fast forward some years later, about 10 years, and I get a call from one of the vice presidents at RZAM. Uh, we say RZIM in Canada. Most of the world says RZM. Um, but they, they, I, I got a call saying that they're genuinely interested in hiring me. I, I, I was at my office in Parliament Hill. And when I got the call, I sunk onto my knees um, just in gratitude for the fact of what God had done in my life. I couldn't believe that someone who has myself agonizing over doubts, uh, fearful that this, my, the most precious love of my life, God, might not exist. That, that not only had God answered my prayer to help preserve my faith, but he had so worked in my life that I was being invited to now help others through that same journey. I was just in awe, not, not of the fact that I'd get to sh- you know, share a stage with some of my heroes, but that, that God had been faithful to me. And so along that journey, it ended up being two years of assessments by RZAM. They take, uh, they take excellence very seriously. Uh, and so along the way, one of just the, in case, Daniel, what does the acronym stand for? Just Ravi in case anybody doesn't. International Ministries. Great question, Father. If, if this is a preview of your questions, it's going to be a good show. So our uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Uh, it was the, the assessment process was so meaningful for me. One of the highlights was they flew me down to Atlanta, the headquarters. I got to spend alone time with Ravi. He was such a legend to me. Now I'm just alone in his office. And uh, the interview, in some ways, we like cast aside interview questions. And I got to just pepper him with my questions about how he cultivates such a such a beautiful faith in God, how he uh, manages to be in his 70s. Well, that's just because of enough birthdays, but how he manages at his age to be able to be so sharp and so excellent in evangelism, apologetics, Q&A, all this kind of stuff. So we, we talked all about these things. Uh, he's, he gave me marriage advice. Once I joined the team, he got to spend time with my, my wife and I a little bit, just a little bit. And I, I, he, he, I just remember him like hand on my shoulder, talking to me, talking to my wife. We'd only been married for a couple of weeks, giving us advice about how to have a vibrant marriage and ministry. Uh, that was, uh, I joined the team. My first day was July 3rd, 2019. So I wasn't there very long. Um, Ravi ended up passing away less than a year later. And a couple months after that, so September 29th, 2020, uh, there was a Christianity Today article uh, sharing allegations of gross sexual misconduct. Uh, his daughter, who is the CEO of the global ministry, um, initiated a very serious and thorough investigation by um, reputable, reputable legal firm. 
to assess if it's true. Uh, many on the team, my understanding, my understanding is that all leadership when they brought in this this investigative process was certain that he would just be his innocence would be um, clearly proven. But instead, as they went through his devices, uh, they found overwhelming evidence. And as they end up interviewing the uh, many of the women who the allegations came from, found overwhelming evidence that Ravi clearly had um, done criminal, sexual, predatory abuse and uh, assault of uh, women in Atlanta and actually uh, throughout the world. And so that came on February 11th was the final report on that. Um, but already just a couple of weeks earlier, I was let go from the team. And uh, yeah, it's been an, an interesting past less than a year of of wrestling with um, the both the disappointment of of one of my greatest heroes in the faith turning out to um, betray so much of of what he taught, uh, the fact that he had harmed women and girls the world over, um, and and so much more. Uh, it's been a year of so much uh, soul searching, um, even going back to some of those answers I got in my teen years, and uh, going back to them and seeing. Are, are these genuinely credible answers uh, when the man himself has been so fraudulent? Um, so yeah, there's just been a lot of wrestling with my faith, wrestling with uh, Christian ministry and, and so many other things. And that brings us to the present moment. Thanks, Daniel, for sharing that. You encapsulated a lot. And of course, it's a very heavy topic. I know how heavy it was for you personally uh, to, to go through this as well as uh, how it must have been for so many people involved. Now, we're not here uh, today to determine uh, Ravi's guilt or, or innocence. Um, what we want to do is look at a, a situation like that. Um, from what we could tell, this happens. This happens. It, it happens not only for people who have the stage, uh, well-known people, those are, those are usually the stories that make the news. Um, but it does seem that it is somewhat common, let's not put a percentage on it, that we can expound the truths of the faith while our lives don't match up to those truths. I imagine there's some people that are completely hypocritical in the sense that they're expounding what we would call truths from the Bible, and they don't actually believe them. They're completely putting on a show. Then there's others that might believe those truths. And by the way, this is not a discussion about Ravi. We're not here to discuss whether he was guilty or innocent. In fact, it's not even a discussion about them those people out there who might be doing these kinds of things. I bring up this topic today so we could talk about ourselves and the gap that can occur between thinking biblically and living biblically. And does it actually matter? And I I asked you to, to share the story because it, it, it happened to you in the sense that you were involved in this and you've had to work through it. We're talking about it because this is a, a, a leader and a, a teacher who, from what we could tell, has positively, profoundly influenced many people's lives for good, 
yourself included. But as the story goes, from what we understand, there were moral elements of his life. Yeah, that... and I just want to, I know we're not here to talk about Ravi, but like he both, just because I have some precious, precious friends who are survivors of his and may watch his show, I want to acknowledge that he profoundly impacted some of our lives, my case for good, helped me continue in my walk with God. But he also, uh, and I've, I've, I've sat in one's kitchen and, and heard her stories directly has profoundly harmed people for, for bad. And there is something about, um, for those of us, myself included, who are in church ministry, church leadership, these types of things, um, there, there is a, an extra biblical seriousness that we have to place on the question my dad has raised today in this podcast, the, the, the seriousness of taking integrity and uh, thinking biblically and living biblically because the harm that someone on a on a, a christian platform has on people in their own lack of living biblically is exponentially worse in many cases um if that makes mm -hmm. sense and we want to affirm and uh, encourage people who have been victims whether some of the unknown victims of this of, of of this or other people who have succumbed to being fooled by leaders, people in position of power who portrayed themselves a particular way. And even today, uh, the, the masses might see that person as a wonderful person who who represents the faith accurately and yet has this hidden life and has harmed people. And we encourage those people to get help as soon as possible. Um, you don't have to continue in, in the darkness of your of your suffering. And that's a whole other uh, topic that deserves more um, more attention. Absolutely. Uh, but what I, I, today what I want to talk about is there seems to be such an emphasis on some approaches to biblical faith that detaches the need, to live a moral life from the adherence to the faith. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, Protestantism as a, as a thing, in contrast to uh, what originally was medieval Christianity, we now call Catholicism, but it was, it was just Christianity at the time, there was a reaction to a certain approach to the faith that was, you know, we would see that as a as a helpful uh, response and reaction but it also has seemed to leave a, a legacy that has detached how we live from what we think and what we claim to believe would you agree with that absolutely uh, i think relevant just last night i was on the phone with a young man in his 20s who was saying that they're in this place of realizing that for many years of their life they lived in a fearful legalism in terms of their faith and that if one was to look at their life, they would see a lot of, of good decisions made, uh, but that they were being motivated in a, in a very strict fear and legalism. Uh, so a couple of years ago, they recognized this and embracing some of the beautiful truths uh, about God's forgiveness. They, they began emphasizing so much the forgiveness of God, of, of, of God washing away our sin, 
that they stop living in a fearful legalism and recently have realized that they have neglected the Bible's call to live a righteous life in light of God's forgiveness. And they, they literally said, like, here's my, I asked, how can I be praying for you? Just as I went to leave the call and my friend said, uh, pray for my holiness. Like I, yeah, I really, I really have neglected to seek to live a, a life full of, of, of obedience to God uh, because I have not taken seriously the call to really follow him. Okay, so that that that's a good illustration as and I'm glad to hear that the person ended up going down that route because I have the impression that other people react to this thing they call legalism, um, which it seems to me when many people talk about legalism, they're talking about uh, emphasis on morality in biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. And perhaps they have felt guilty for not living up to that the teaching on biblical morality and that emphasis on biblical morality and then they overemphasize forgiveness and a view of grace which also may not be biblical but this idea that we can just soak in god's acceptance and we don't have to give attention to righteousness and holiness because if we do that we're back into this what they would call a legalist trap Hmm. so i i should take a moment to describe what i believe the bible understands as legalism so a, a biblical understanding of what legalism is is the idea that by doing uh that taking acts of obedience to god as the badge of acceptance that if if only i do the things that god is telling me to do and it might be moral things it might be other things like spending time reading the bible and praying that if i do all those right things then god will like me love me accept me and and that sort of thing and um so with a right view of biblical legalism is putting standards of righteousness and faith and and using them as the means to understand our acceptance that's bad we're accepted by god by having faith in his son by accepting that we have fallen short of god's requirements that means we're sinners acknowledging that asking god for forgiveness and relying on the provision of the sacrifice as of his son as the means of acceptance by uh, by God. That's what we're called to do. True biblical legalism is instead of just accepting God's uh, God's forgiveness on the basis of faith in his son, we add other things. And as you said, it could be trying to live a moral life, it could be church attendance, it could be going to the right uh, church and reading the right Bible and some of these things by which we determine whether we're in or out. The wrong kind of legalism, what people mistake legalism to be, is the need to properly uh, emphasize righteous living as the response to God's acceptance of us. Are are we tracking here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Something, a a verse from the Bible that has really helped me uh, try to understand this in a, in a healthy way and to live a life that is not legalistic, that's not based on trying to um, have a right standing with God based on my good, my good works, 
but or, or good life decisions, but rather is a life uh, a, a life of integrity where my actions are following are consi- are consistent with my beliefs, and a life that is a life that is um, living in the freedom and the I don't know the the joy of God's forgiveness, and then living doing making moral decisions, moral behavior. Uh, in light of that is Romans 12 verse one. Uh, so this is for those who are not familiar with uh, the book Romans, it's in the new Testament it's by the apostle Paul, a man who himself had been living a very like legalistic life beforehand. And then was completely turned around by the love of God uh, revealed to Jesus. So he writes these words, Romans 12 verse one. Therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He continues one more. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, as good, pleasing and perfect will. So in this verse, he's saying uh, you're not going to try. We're not to try to make live a, a good life, a moral life but in order to receive, in order to make God like us or earn a right relationship with God. God has freely offered that to us through the death of Yeshua, Jesus. Um and yet, in light of the gift of God's forgiveness, the gift of being able to be sons and daughters of God, we therefore are able to, um, animated by joy and gratitude to God, to, to give our bodies, he says, offer bodies as a living sacrifice. There's so much in that term we can unpack. And I love that in the following verse, he, he talks about the renewing of our minds. So thinking biblically, um, uh, being set free of toxic and polluted ways of self-centered ways of thinking that's tied into living a, a moral, healthy way. Um, if I, so the, big question, the big question is, is, is living that way necessary in order to have a right relationship with God? Well, I think that um, an, an illustration I, I would like to now point, this is a Bible thing. I want to point to maybe a, uh, day-to-day example, and then we can unpack the two, is uh, just from this morning, uh, my wife uh, was getting ready for her staff meeting. She's supposed to lead the staff meeting at her job online. And um, I also felt like my day was pretty busy, uh, but she had to prepare for that. So I said, no, no worries. We're all on a walk before work. Why don't, why don't you go home? You can work for that. And I'm going to go grocery shopping. Uh, some of the other guys, maybe some girls listening, tuning in. I, 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 I'm not the quickest shopper. Like it, it is, it is a sacrifice of my time. Uh, I just, I end up going to the, you know, uh, shopping so inefficiently where I'm bouncing around the store instead of making a good zigzag. And so it was a, it was an hour sacrifice of my time. I was literally got home a, a whole hour after my bride and I would have, if I, she was originally grocery shopping. So I felt like I gave a precious 60 minutes of my life for the family. I got home, I get home. I'm thinking like, okay, here's a bomb. I'm, I'm thinking my to-do list. I'm busy. I got to record this with my dad. So like that cuts into my day. I'm honored to be here, but still, and I get home. And as my wife is getting on the zoom call for work, she's like, Hey, Dan, I'm hungry. Can you like make me eggs, toast and da da da? And just, I was, I just felt so much stress and like, I just, ah, I, that I don't have time for anyway. So she gets on the call and I was thinking like, what if I just poured her cereal? because that's so quick. She said, I'm hungry. Cereal does the trick. But I just stopped. And I thought, you know what? Like my wife, she does that kind of like that sacrifice, a double sacrifice, sacrifice time and oh, unexpected thing for me all the time. Like just, I thought, oh, my wife, 
She loves me so. She serves me. She blesses me. She empowers my work. She she always stops to make time for my stuff. I I I I'm gonna make this for her. So I didn't just make the cereal, the the toast and eggs. I went. I got like I just made it because she does everything beautiful. I just I made things beautiful. I just I decided to really go like next level. Just got some cherries and a little cute bowl. I got a little napkin and just did a little bit. Like I just wanted to just treasure her and I brought it to her and it was so rewarding to see my wife who worked so hard for others face light up and feel like a princess. I share all of this because someone could watch that behavior. And if you don't know my heart, if you don't know me, like you wouldn't know if I could have been doing all of that because I'm scared she's not going to like me because I, I think I need to do this. So my, my wife will be kind to me. So she'll accept me. Or I could be doing this like I was today where like in light of my life, life in light of my wife's love for me, in light of her grace and mercy and compassion and kindness, like I, 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 I respond love back. And I wanted to like, like just, just treasure her. Now someone could watch all that. If you're a guest in our home, which happens, we have guests all the time. Someone could be there and see all that and, and ask the question, even in light of today, like Daniel is, is your like make, make getting the cute napkin and doing all these things. And in sense, I obeyed my wife. Like she, can you get me the thing? I was, yes. And I got her the breakfast. Like, is that necessary for a, a healthy marriage, for a vibrant friendship? And I think that all of us could answer profoundly yes. Like, like technically, like, would my wife have forgiven me? Would, would it have made me unmarried to her if I didn't make her breakfast today? If I would have said, hey, I'm so busy. I'm just going to pour you cereal. Um, you know, I could have said to her, like, she only was leaving the very beginning, devotional. She could have turned off her camera and muted herself and she could have made herself eggs and she would have i think if i really 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 didn't have the time that's all to say it, uh, no me disobeying her today in a sense or not not you know um would not have made us unmarried it would not have changed the legal status of a relationship and uh we it would be okay but you're asking like the wrong question in a sense when it's like is that necessary a vibrant relationship that wants to be growing and growing in their awe and wonder and love for each other and intimacy and closeness is not asking like do i have to do that in order for da 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 but the question is like what can i do to be growing closer to that person so the question to go, for one more second papa 20 seconds if, if someone says like if 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 someone disobeys God, does that make them not his child? Does that make them recipients of his wrath? My short answer is is no. But God has so much more for you than just whether or not you are still a recipient of His grace. If okay, you're hold on, I think okay, wait, wait. So using your illustration of what happened this morning with Alexandra, the basis of your relationship is not whether or not you did the shopping or made the breakfast or what kind of breakfast the the actions that you, you engaged in today were because of your already established relationship with your wife mm -hmm. not correct and that and we want to stay on 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 target with the the topic at hand and so there's the basis of relationship and as i mentioned earlier there's a the the right understanding of legalism which is bad is using our actions as that which assures us not assures us that using our good deeds as the basis of our relationship with god and that's not right the bible teaches that we're made right with god 
by our trusting in what the Messiah has done for us. That's where the relationship, how the relationship is established. Then there's a life that is the the, the right um, response to that. And the Bible calls that fruit, right? Um, now I want to go back to Paul just for a second. You referred to Paul as a, he was a legalist, and then he had his life transformed. Um, Paul never understood that the the keen Jewish people of the first century didn't think that they had had to do all these moral activities in order to get accepted by God. Because that's what most Christians think that legalism is, is uh, climbing a moral ladder to try to get to God. Nobody could really do that. And so we shouldn't give the impression to people that they should they should put all that effort into their morality in order to get God's acceptance. But that's not what Paul was, that's not Paul's version of this thing called legalism. Where Paul understood he was wrong is he was looking to things other than faith in God as the basis of his acceptance. So for Jewish people, and it's still true today in rabbinical thinking, it's the, by virtue of our relationship to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the symbol of which is circumcision, and our heritage, that's what puts us in right relationship with God as the chosen people. There are only very few things that could uh, disqualify us from that relationship, murder being one, idolatry being another. Grave, grave sins are the only things that could disconnect the Jewish people from God. And so Paul, that's what Paul understood. And that's why we see statements in, in the scriptures, like uh, where the prophet confronts the people and says, don't just say the temple, the temple, the temple. Because for Jewish people of ancient days, they would look at the temple as a symbol of God's established relationship with the people. And by going through the observances of what God had commanded through Moses, not just the morality, but the, the various elements of the covenant given through Moses, those were signs of that established relationship. And so what happened was the idea of, oh, if I just do the sacrifices, if I if I fast, if I, I do some of these things, then that shows that I'm upholding this relationship with God. And it wasn't about a humble um, giving of oneself to God in, in every way, which is what Paul came to understand, that his attempts at upholding the covenant were not good enough because all of us fail before God morally and in, in every other way, because we actually enter into the world with a, um, a chasm between us and God. And that chasm can only be bridged through what the Messiah did for us by dying a horrible death on a cross and rising from the dead. When I asked about necessary, there's the idea of do we do these things in order to establish the relationship with God? And very clearly, the New Testament teaches as, as um, on the basis of Old Testament teaching that our relationship with God is something that's established by him and it's made real in our lives by our trusting in him. But how necessary is it that we then have lives that reflect the reality of that relationship. So going back to your illustration, if you said to 
Alexandra, no, I can't do the shopping. We'll have to deal with it later. Or no, I'm really sorry. I can't make you breakfast right now for whatever reason. That should not destroy your relationship with her. If that relationship actually exists, correct? You'd yeah, agree with that? I go one further. Um, yeah. Like there's, a, there's many ways in which like, if I was like, Alexandra, I, I just can't because I don't have time right now. I also have, I'm getting slammed. Like, I wouldn't have even done something wrong in a sense. Right. But I would say just to make sure that the, it's standing on point regarding like following God or not. Um, like even if I had, even if I was rude to Alexandra, it was just like, Alexandra, like I've done, done so much already and it's time for me to have some me time. And I've like, been rude about it like that or harsh. Um, if I would have been a, a bad husband about it, um, it would not have changed our relationship. Right. Sure. And, and, and hopefully you would recognize that at some point you would apologize. She'd forgive you. That would be a healthy relationship. Agree? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, but what if you never went shopping when she asked you? And in fact, you were always rude to her and you neglected her and you um, slept with other women and, and that sort of thing. What would that say about your relationship to her? Yeah, I mean, so when when the basis of a relationship is our is our wedding in, in the like that is what makes us married is that we we made a vows before god and if i was uh living a life that was um that was contrary to the vows we made like that is uh that is grounds for uh separation and that can even be grounds for divorce right so uh, we, you told a story earlier, and again, we're not here to judge Ravi, but as much as we understand the story, this is a case where somebody was claiming a particular kind of relationship with God. Not only that, he was helping other people with finding that relationship, helping other people in clarifying that relationship, but then was discovered to be doing things that were counter to um a true life with the god he was um, representing Mm. so then is the question does a person like that where that really is happening does that disqualify that person's relationship with god or at what point does it disqualify their relationship with god the bible the bible does talk some very serious words about examining yourself to see if you're really in the faith uh, the the Bible seems to indicate that um, unconfessed, systemic, ongoing sin uh, can be an indication uh, to ourselves. It can indicate that we are not actually uh, believing in God and receiving His forgiveness and salvation. Uh, so it's it's true that a, a life, a, an unrepentant life, uh, that's a that's a theological term. Uh, I I'd be thrilled if there's people who aren't familiar with that term who aren't. Uh, people exposed to church much who are listening in uh, unrepentant me a, a life that is not in the habit uh, of turning away from our sinful toxic behaviors and looking to god for forgiveness and 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 seeking trying to do differently a life that is not marked by that um if any one of us is listening or even my dad and i notice in our life my life is not being defined like all of us are going to be sitting and doing toxic harmful behaviors my, but I'm not confessing it and, and seeking to turn from it. If that's not part of our life, then it is. We should be tr- 
going to God and, and along with uh, going to um, a mature Christian brother or sister and saying like, um, I, I, I might not actually be God's child and, and addressing that and seeking to, to amend that um, because it might show that we don't actually believe in God at all. So that's true. That a, a life that is consistently disobedient to God may be a life that is that the person might not actually be a Christian, no matter how much they say this stuff. Yeah. So when I when I came to know when I came to know Yeshua Jesus as my Messiah back in 1976, and my testimony is available on my on my YouTube channel, um, I was told that if I said a particular prayer asking God to forgive me for my sins and believing in, that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead, and in fact, I didn't have to really believe it, I just need to say this prayer, then all these wonderful things were going to happen to me. Now, as I ex explain in my story, um, I met God that day, and he used the interaction with this other teenager to lead me into biblical truth and and lead me into what became a, a transformed life not perfectly transformed but a but a substantially transformed life i encountered god that day in a very real way but there was an impression given such as say the magic words and every and and poof all this stuff is going to happen now not long after that i was at a bible study and my best friend was there and um under my influence i was so excited when i when I came to know the Lord and I was sharing my new faith with everybody because of my transformation, my budding transformation at the time. And um, I, my best friend also said the words. And very soon after that, he really struggled. There were certain things in the Bible that he was having trouble with, and I won't get into all those details, but he really, really struggled. And he, in fact, his what he thought he was understanding about God really turned him off and he didn't want to be a believer. So we're at a Bible study and uh, the person who was hosting the Bible study was having a conversation with my friend and he was talking about his struggles and how he really didn't want to believe. And the person said to him, well, when you said this prayer, the same prayer that I had said, were you sincere? And he said, yes. And so the person said, that's it born again, child of God. Basically, you're stuck, buddy. Uh, you've made this transaction and it's and you're good to go. And I hope people listening to this would see how ridiculous that is. Um, but it seems that there are theological threads that are quite popular that say the same sort of thing. In fact, mm. I, I can't quote it, but uh, um, the woman who became my wife was doing a paper I think we were married at that time. Um, it was both our last year in, in, in Bible college, and she was doing a paper on this concept called eternal security. And I know I'm rattling the eternal security cage right now because I think there's issues with it. I do believe we have a security in God. Uh, Jesus says in the Gospel of John that that all those uh, in his hand cannot be taken out, this sort of thing. I'm not quoting it properly. I'm going to be running out of time. Um, but I can claim a security in God, but I have to claim that legitimately. And in this book was what I thought was an illegitimate claim, where the person, the author in this book was saying that if somebody was comes into a relationship with God as and, and by believing, which we understand as the basis of acceptance of God by trusting in his son, that that person cannot, the term popular term is lose their salvation, even if they stop believing. 
And I'm going, what in the world is this? Because by definition, a child of God is someone who believes. So if they no longer believe, they've lost the basis of mm -hmm. being a child but of God. Now that's extreme, quote unquote, eternal security. But I am concerned that what's happened is there's been in some circles so much emphasis of what is rightly called by faith alone that we completely neglect the need to live a life reflective of that faith. Yeah, so Dad, in, in what you were just sharing, you talked about an example of someone who said, like, I don't believe in him anymore. I don't want to be a, a follower of God anymore, a, a believer anymore. And it was like, oh, but you you are for life. Like, it's like a tattoo. It's permanent. Um, but the, the, to go one step further, to we're not today focused simply on the question of belief, 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 but we're looking at the how important it is that we actually are seeking to live a life that's following God. I, I know that when Jesus was calling his disciples, uh, finding people who are going to follow him and learn from him and become, yeah, be, be his. The, the word he did, he did not say as he came up to the tax collector, Matthew, or the other, Philip and all the others, Andrew, he didn't say, believe in me. He came and said, follow me. Yeah. And, and, and for a lot of, now, a lot of believe, a lot of Christians, a lot of believers in God, what it means to be a follower of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved is that you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died and rose from the dead. He died for our sins and gives us freedom. All those things are true. Um, and so for a lot of people, what it means to grow in uh, being a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, that to grow in God is to become more and more theologically sound, to believe more and more truth about God. Now, those are very good things. When I was at one point in my life, a pastor of discipleship, and my one of my primary things I did was organize a really good lecture between the two church services we had so that people could grow in thinking about more more biblically about about life. And I felt like I was discipling them. Transform, but, transform by the renewing of your mind. Yeah, but, Think but differently the, and you're good. But the word disciple, as far as I know, is much more like an apprentice. An apprentice is not someone. When we hear that word, we don't think student in a class learning more truths about the subject matter. An apprentice, we typically think someone who has joined an expert and is is, is following them and doing with them and, and becoming more like them. And so when Jesus says, follow me, to these people he calls to be his disciples, he's calling them to live a life that is increasingly marked by the, the behaviors and patterns, words and actions of Jesus. And that's for everyone listening, that same invitation is flowing from God today to you, yeah. to my dad, to myself. God is saying, follow me. In in the way I relate to my wife, I say this because she's actually cooking some crepes right here off camera. The, the, in the way I relate to my wife, in the way I relate to what pops up on, as I scroll my phone, in the way I relate to my job, in the way, the way you relate to the, uh, the troubles and trials and stuff in our life, uh, words and thoughts, sexuality and everything. We have an invitation to follow Jesus, to respond to things with him in his way. It is not an invitation just to think, think the right thoughts about everything. Yeah, so let me read a passage that's relevant to this. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false prophets, Jesus is talking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bush bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, uh, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll be, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so one of the things to, to note here, there's many things, is he doesn't argue with these people whether or not they did these great things. He didn't say, you thought you cast out demons, you didn't. You, uh, you were prophesying, but that wasn't really prophecy. Or uh, those mighty works you're claiming, you didn't do them. These are people that it appears they actually did acts of power in Jesus' name, similar to what Jesus and his other followers were doing. And yet, the fruit of their lives, which... Um, from what we understand, their morality was not in sync with the morality of God. And this is saying that you could claim right faith, you can claim right, you can claim truth, you could teach truths, but if your life doesn't reflect the truth by exhibiting the character of God, you don't belong to Jesus. I'm going to go to another one. Uh, this is First John 3. Uh, uh, verses 4 through 10. There's so much in 1 John that if we actually took it seriously, and John is the same one from whom we quote in his gospel, uh, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And just very briefly before I read this excerpt from 1 John, we need to understand that this term belief is not what we could call mental assent. Belief or faith is actually trust. In both Hebrew and in Greek, the words for faith in English, faith, trust, and belief are the same. Faith actually is trust. So when the Bible calls us to trust in God and that we can be rescued or saved by faith, it's by trusting in him. That's putting our lives at his disposal and depending upon him. And that's why um, if we do that, then we're going to exhibit a life in keeping with that, then the, the fruit of our lives becomes the evidence of an inner reality. Of, of So if we claim we trust in him, we're going to see evidences of that trust. So 1 John 3 verses uh, 4 to 10, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, this is from the English Standard Version, a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteousness as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one that does not love his brother. Now I need to say that 
this is not saying that people who just do good are accepted by God. There is an understanding here that John is writing to people who are in the community of faith, people who uh, attest to believing in the Messiah, Jesus, or Yeshua, his Hebrew name. And he's confronting people who are claiming one thing that they're saying they believe, but their lives reflect a different reality. And if I understand this correctly, that if our lives do not reflect the reality of the faith that we claim, then we do not have that faith. Daniel? Anybody, as my dad is speaking, might be thinking, and I've been here in my own life, as you hear a word like this, oh, what what if I'm not saved? What if I'm out of the faith? Um, the, on the one hand, we do not, we, uh, we don't do well to be a friend to you by like, it's not, it's not loving Just say, Oh, no, you said a prayer. And like, just try to numb that when that, that's a genuine and good question. Uh, am I in the faith or, or am I seeing that my life is not marked by repentance that I am uh, taking God for granted consistently. It's if someone says, I don't know if I'm saved, my response should be, well, let's talk about that. Let's examine that together. Um, however, even if you examine that and you go, oh, you know, I see that like my marked is my life is marked by taking God for granted, by a life that is so self-indulgent and covering up my sin and all these things. I actually don't think I'm safe. To anybody who's in that place, there is an invitation from God today to respond to his free gift of an invitation to surrender yourself to him to confess your sin and to look to him for strength to live a life that is submitting to him. Yeah, there's a wonderful story in the Gospel of Luke uh, that illustrates how it's we are not accepted by God through Jesus by what we do. And they, the story is the thief on the cross. Here is a, a, a man who had given himself to uh, to bad living, and he's witnessing what's going on. He's got a maybe he's his, his the other one is a thief is his buddy, and, and between them is the savior of the world suffering for our sins. And somehow the thief gets it. And while he's dying, he turns to him and says a prayer. I wasn't asked to say this kind of prayer, but it was remember me uh, when you come into your glory or something like that. And Jesus saw this as a true act of faith and accepted him and said today i will see you in paradise the man didn't have to get off the cross and do all sorts of deeds to prove the reality of his faith so faith is absolutely sufficient but it needs to be a true faith so if the man would have miraculously been able to get off the cross and live a life if he would have went gone right back to his old ways that would have been evidence that he hadn't really turned to god And so it's very serious that when we find ourselves purposely or trapped in a life that is not godly, we need to take that very seriously. The good news is another story that's so familiar to many people uh, from Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. Here was somebody who 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 just um, what's the word? He just spent all his stuff, you know. Self-indulgent. Yeah, and all that stuff went away from his his father and all the rest and, and lived a terrible life. And then he, he came to his senses and 
wanted to come back to his father, and his father immediately accepted him. And so wherever we're at with God today, we can turn to him now, confess our sins, and give our lives to him, or re-give our lives to him, and he will accept us. He's not going to turn a cold shoulder. He's not going to do what he does. is illustrated in Matthew 7. If we come to him with humble hearts, he will accept us. Mm. But humble hearts will bear good fruit. Not perfectly. I, I was reading from 1 John. And in, in one of the things that's going on in 1 John, it appears, is there were some people that were saying that a true life with God means a sinless perfection kind of life. That we're going to live a perfectly righteous life. And John says, no. If anyone says they have no sin, they're lying and the truth is not in them, from John, 1 John chapter 1. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then throughout the letter, he has this very high view of living a righteous life, but it's already clear he's not saying a perfectly righteous life, but a life that's marked by godly living, a life that's marked by humility, uh, and very importantly in 1 John, a life of love, loving our fellow believers. And and people whose lives are marked by disdain and they couldn't care less about anybody, only care about themselves, John's very clear, you're not really part of this community. You could say you are, you could say you have faith, but if your life is not giving evidence of that truth that you're claiming, then that truth is not there. But I know what happens. When we talk like that, people are quickly, they start looking at our failings, and then we put a big X over our entire lives, and we're not supposed to do that. If these kinds of messages bother us to the point that we're going to turn to God and look to him, not by trying to do all sorts of stuff and try to work our way back to to him again, but by acknowledging that we're that we fail and having broken hearts before him and asking him for help and help and doing our best to live a righteous life that's the sign of that we really are God's child but if we take this relationship for granted and we claim theological platitudes while we are addicted to pornography lying in uh, lying to those closest to us and other people cheating and 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 neglecting the life that he's called us to live then that's the evidence of somebody who doesn't really know the lord and if that bothers you then repent turn to him and cooperate with what god wants you wants to do in and through your life um uh, I think a case study I can share succinctly that illustrates what, some of what my dad is saying or just how this is manifest. Again, in, in, in my own experience, I was flying back from the Dominican Republic up to Ottawa um, and I, had, I, was, I was there to preach. Uh, I preached in Dominican Republic from Colossians 3 that's dealing with some of these passages about how serious we need to take the, uh, the way we live. And in Colossians 3, Paul is saying, put this to death, put that to death, put this to death, sinful toxic behaviors, uh, idolatry and, and uh, sexual impurity and all sorts of things. Take it seriously. So anyways, I, it, was, it was a great full week in Dominican Republic. I'm on the plane, I'm flying home and I was super tired, but not tired enough to sleep, I guess. So I thought I'll just watch a show. I go see a, sh- a show that looked good watching it. And what comes across the screen was, was the most uh, like sexually inappropriate thing I'd ever come across. 
um, of, of, of sought to live a life that is completely free of porn. And here's this like whole sexual scene. And I, I, I put the screen away. It, you know, when you're sitting in the front, I keep, you're used to seeing it on the chair in front of you, but this was, I was in the, I got a front seat in the economy. So I had like the one where you pull out. So I like put it away, but I, I, I hesitated a few moments before putting it away. Uh, and I put it away and, and I, I felt such a sense of shame that I, I had these, these images seared into my mind. And, and I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of me like, Oh, I didn't mean to see that. Like I didn't mean to see it, but then I, I, I chose to keep watching for a few seconds or however long it felt like forever, put it away mid scene, but I still just felt so much shame. And I remember feeling like, Oh man, they so just, Oh, I can't believe I was talking about fighting against this kind of stuff. And now here I am in the privacy of my plane watching this. And I, I literally felt I was, I, I was, I confess I was so close to pulling it back up and, and finishing the scene. I, I, I was, you know, just so many of the feelings many can relate to of being so curious to know more and to see more of this. And, and, and it was being fueled by the sense of, I feel like I'm covered in mud right now. Uh, like when you're ready, I don't know, you, you, same with rain. Sometimes it's, uh, you want to avoid getting drenched, but when you're drenched, like you also don't mind it. And I just felt like, I don't know, you, you, you can track with me, yeah. but by the, the, the like you're already dirty. So why yeah, not? So, you know, so, but, but I remembered in Colossians three, the Bible says to, to the very people who've just moments before been told, you need to stop these hugely toxic, sinful behaviors before they've had a chance to turn down, put down the page before they had a chance to change. Paul writes and says, as God's holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts and says a whole bunch of really good things. And so I just remembered as I was wrestling within myself with a, such a sense of shame, I just, I am holy and beloved. No, I'm not going to continue that scene. And I, I share the story because I think that if I would have just responded to like, Oh, I've just been sinful. Um, I, I am going to, I, I I'm, I'm not God's child. Like I would have been so much more likely to just go and wallow in that, finish that scene, see more in, in sexually inappropriate stuff. But by remembering, by receiving, by being holy and beloved, I am in view of the mercy of God. It is God's mercy, his forgiveness, that I am holy and beloved. Like, I just done something unholy by watching more of that scene than I should have. But because of the blood of Jesus, because in Jesus being nailed to the cross, he, the, Colossians says, he has nailed, I believe it's Colossians, he's nailed the record of our debt to the cross. And so that's an example of letting the forgiveness of God, letting my belief, the belief I have in him, the trust I have in him, which is a, a gift from God, letting that shape uh, my obedience to him. Yep. And if we reverse that, if, if I would be living a life where I think that I am, I am God's child and he's pleased with me and this and that because I'm not watching porn, I'm not watching. If that would be the case, then when you fail, you're just going to plunge. Right. When you live a life that's seeking to follow Yeshua Jesus in response to his call, empowered by his forgiveness, I think we're free when we fall down to be able to get up and keep running. Right. So at the, at the core of our relationship with God is what he has done for us in his son, the Messiah, and our need to um, appropriate that by trusting in him. But true trust will bear godly fruit. And if we're not cultivating that fruit, we're in trouble. 
If we're if we're exhibiting bad fruit, we're in trouble. The good news is that at any time we can turn back to God. But if we take his 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 love and his acceptance for granted and think that we could do whatever we want and we're going to get away with it, that's not going to happen. And we need to restore to the whole picture of God's love and grace and favor the seriousness of the need to exhibit a, a truly righteous life as a result of what, what he has done for us. Again, and I, it happens over and over again. You talk like this and then people think we've all failed and we're there's no hope for anyone. No. Yeah. Our hope is based on what he's done for us and we can avail ourselves of that by trusting in him. But if we think that we could live a double life and whether it's as a famous preacher or somebody that nobody knows, if we're putting on one um, persona of the, the the faithful one who says all the right things, who believes all the right things and goes to the right, uh, you know, religious organizations and reads the right Bible and maybe even goes through some of the, you know, they, 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 they pray and they read the scriptures, they memorize scriptures, but then their lives do not reflect that reality. The Bible is clear. That person is a hypocrite and is in danger of God's judgment. One of the really tough things, even as my dad says this, is uh, it's often the case that there are certain sins that are so socially acceptable and are in each one of our circles that it's easy for us to, to not to not see some of the areas where we're being totally disobedient to God. And our lack of seeing it doesn't make it any less disobedient to God. Um, I, I was with a friend in a rural, rural, rural part of Canada, and we were with a bunch of Christians and at a, at a friend's, um, a friend of a friend's bachelor party, we were invited. And there was, I, I think, uh, no, not even a think. I know there was so much alcohol consumption that people were getting drunk. And my friend and I, who are not from there, we're from big city, Canada, we were both like, so confused and aghast like man like these guys seem to take their the bible so seriously and they have no problem getting drunk and the bible is really clear that that drunkenness is is toxic sinful behavior and so we're there I'm like, man and then all of a sudden i don't know if it was my friend or myself one of us said to each other like in this culture this seems to be such a blind spot what are the things in our own culture like it like in a big city there you see so much stuff about like mad mothers against drunk driving and all sorts of things uh there like there's certain certain things that are even you know that, that even secular society sees as as not okay but in in our context one of the things where where an, an outsider might look and be like i can't believe these guys just gossip all the time like don't they see how toxic that is and yet in our context it's just we don't even notice and so i want to encourage people even as my dad and i are speaking i'm going to be doing this myself as soon as we're done um to pray and say god in your kindness like show me where i am taking you for granted show me where i'm just um yeah where i'm disobeying you and i don't even see it um or maybe where I'm disobeying you and I do see it, but I'm trying to like numb myself to it because I love that sin. And it is it is a beautiful thing when God brings fresh conviction and helps us to be helps us be able to address things so that our life, as we've been talking about, can be a life of integrity where our our, our behaviors are flowing from our beliefs. Yeah, and so I tried to say at the beginning, uh, as we were diving into this, this is not about this is not about 
them. This is about us. And this is not about you. It's about me. It's about Daniel. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to prophesy about the times that we're living in, but I think we're in very, very dire times where we're going to be called uh, for account for how we've been living our lives. And, uh, you know, the time of salvation, the day of salvation, the Bible says, is now. And whether you're discovering that you never knew the Lord before or you've been taking him for granted, the good news is that we could be restored to him right now by turning from our our bad living, our sin, and turning back to God by putting our trust in Jesus, confessing our sin and trusting in him, and he will receive us. Yes, a question from Daniel. Not a question, it's a statement. Surprise. Uh, but just as my dad's speaking, something I really want people to consider is that in the call to live a life that's not just believing in Jesus, but seeking to follow and walk with him, it's it's more than just, um, or it, it's, it's so meaningful. And here's a brief snapshot from someone else. Gary Hogan is the founder and CEO of International Justice Mission. In his brief, but brilliant. Just Courage, a book he wrote. He talks about how when he was a child, his dad took him and his brother to go on a huge hike. And they, they at the start of the hike up some West Coast mountain in the in the States, there was this welcome center, a little tiny museum. You know, it's like hardly a museum, but it says it's a museum. And so while his dad was registering them or whatever he was doing, paying for parking, uh, Gary was reading the museum signs. And there's all these warnings about uh, written by lawyers covering every possibility of how you might get hurt to when you go up the mountain. So Gary was nine years old and he said to his dad, dad, I love this museum. I'm just going to stay right here. And his dad said, what? We came here to hike. You know, dad, trust me. And they went long enough until finally the dad was worn down and said, you can stay here. And he took the 11-year-old brother up. And Gary, he was so pleased with himself at first. He felt like he was so smart to get out of this dangerous quest. And uh, he went to spend his time reading the museum signs. About 45 seconds later, he was done reading the museum signs. And he sat down on the bench to expect his dad back at any moment, like a little kid might. Anyways, hours and hours and hours go by. And Gary is there feeling the air so stuffy. He's so bored out of his mind. Finally, his dad and brother walk in. And their eyes, you know that smell when someone's been out in the cold? Uh, they, they, like, they come in and their eyes, they, they smell of the outdoors. Their eyes are sparkling and they have so many stories. They had a magnificent day. And Gary tells a story to say the point my dad and I have been making. That for so many Christians, they are bored in their Christianity because they think it's just about believing. And they read about the stories from the Bible or they read the biographies of great men and women of God and, and the great things they've done. But they themselves are just living a life where their whole relationship with God is based on the fact that they believe in him. They believe he's capable of stuff and he does stuff, but they're not living a life with him. And Gary pleads with us saying, you may be bored in your Christianity, but God has called you to follow him. And, and you can read for yourself, but Jesus reaches out for Isaiah 61 and reads over himself as his mission statement, what he's all about. His call to, the call to follow Jesus. As my dad has indicated, and, and I've indicated that there's a lot about like living a life that has is a, a moral upright. That's a life that is uh, free of toxic behaviors and thought patterns. But it's not just about ourselves. Like the life of Jesus is this beautiful mission, bringing light into the darkness. And, and we, we've been called to be like the son who went with his father up the mountain and has yeah. adventures and fresh memories with the dad. Some of the best memories are some of the, you know, the scariest moments um, where you didn't think it, you didn't know if 
the, the son doesn't know if his dad's going to come through for him as they're like sliding a little bit down the mountain, but he does. Yeah. And, so, and that's what God called us to. Let's remember that so it's easy to get into some of those adventurous things and forget that those are the internal matters. So like you talked about, you know, God preaching at, at in the Dominican Republic, you weren't at a resort. Um, maybe you should have said that. Uh, that wasn't a vacation. It um, You were in a, a poorer area and some of that some of that and that's adventurous then you get on the plane you're confronted with a moral thing and in order to to walk that adventure in the way that's going to be most meaningful and effective and and is truly with god is an integrated life that is 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 trusting in god for the big things doing the adventures and living a life that is morally pure not perfect because we all fail uh and there's provision of forgiveness, uh, but we do need to live a, a quality of life that's in keeping with uh, who God really is. Now, Absolutely. Daniel, you're involved in some other things right now. You have an event coming up, and so just before we close, do you want to uh, mention that to everyone? Sure. Thanks, Dad, for giving me a chance to invite people. Um, so I, I wear three hats for work, and one of them is the Center for Public Speaking. It's a team of eight of us from around the world who do one-on-one coaching for people, pastors, professors, politicians, whoever you are. I would be thrilled to coach you. And so as one of the ways we want to invest in helping people to become better communicators, we're launching a webinar series. I, I want to mention, I've, I've started tuning into other webinars. There are a lot of webinars where it really is an infomercial. They'll just give you enough of like the problem and then be like, for the solution, come to our coaching. That's not that. I want people to be able to tune in and be better equipped to be more effective communicators and to shine without ever having to come to our one-on-one coaching. Um, I just, I want the webinar itself to be helpful. So the webinar, it, it won't be taped. It's going to be live. People, you, you'll be able to interact with the speakers through Q&A and everything. And we're, we're, we're pulling on incredible global speakers. So the first one is what my dad's referring to. It's August 12th. Uh, this year, and it's going to be on knowing the differences between writing and speaking. Some of our clients will be like, oh, I just want to work on my delivery. I don't need to work on my my content because I'm a good writer already. But that's a myth, actually. You need to know the differences between excellent speaking, excellent writing, so that when you take maybe stuff you've already written about, blogged about, whatever, you're able to absolutely shine and make the most biggest impact you can as a speaker. So we're going to be addressing that, and you can register for free below. Very good. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to put the link to that event uh, for August the 12th in the description. And so you can check that out. Remember, it's free with no strings, really no strings attached, Daniel. Really no strings. Okay. And if anyone feels like I'm stringing you along, you just message me and say, yeah, Daniel, yeah. repent. And I will repent because I want integrity. Yeah. And also, uh, Daniel uh, mentioned that if you want to contact him, but anything that we've talked about or the, the event, you can reach him at daniel.gilman at gmail.com. That will also be in the description. And so thank you, Daniel, for doing this with me today. Thanks for having me, Dad. And thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. I hope you made it all the way through. I know we dealt with some issues here that some people might find uh, disturbing. You may not agree with it. Well, whether you loved it, disturbed, agree, don't agree, why don't you let me know? You can put comments uh, below uh, the audio or the or the YouTube uh, versions, or, or you could write me, uh, send your comments to comments at thinkingbiblically.org, and, um, and I'd be very happy to dialogue these things with you. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman for Thinking Biblically.